This week's episode of the Velo News Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Health IQ, the life insurance company that caters to healthy, active people like ourselves. Spencer, I have a question for you. Did you ride your bike more than 50 miles last week? 50 total miles for the week. I think I barely squeaked over 50. It's that time of the fall mm. when you're not getting out as often, but I think I did. Yes. Okay. Maybe one ride, maybe two rides. It could boost you over the 50 mile limit. Or like a big weekend ride. Yeah, there you go. Well, I got to tell you, if you averaged more than 50 miles a week or more than five hours a week, riding your bike over the last six months, you can screenshot some of that info, send it over to our good friends at Health IQ, and get a great quote on life insurance. Uh, Spencer, what's the, what's the URL that the good people can go to? Yeah, it's healthiq.com slash velonews. Real simple, healthiq.com slash velonews. And you can submit screenshots of your Strava, MapMyRide, Garmin, or Fitbit profiles to get your great quote. Thanks to Health IQ. Let's get on with the show. to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News Magazine, and it's a wonderful fall day here in Boulder, Colorado. I am joined, as always, by Spencer Paulison. Spencer, what's going on? Hey, Fred. You were in Chicago this last weekend? Yep. Went over there for a couple of days and uh, did a little cross race, uh, busted yeah? out a costume, little little Halloween cross. Yeah, I saw on your Instagram, your costume involved kind of a gross mustache. Uh, yep. Fortunately, it was just penciled on, so mm. it's removable. How would you describe your cyclocross racing costume to the good listeners? I was Zorro. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't pick up on that? I don't know. I just thought maybe it was like cleaning out the closet, saw some funny stuff, maybe a mask. Come on, hat. man. I put more effort into it than that. All I right. made a mask. I made a cape. I, I went out and got the hat. Yep. I penciled the mustache on very carefully in the car before the race. It was a, it was a very thorough costume. I'm going to say one of my lowest moments as an amateur cyclocross racer was participating in a Halloween version of a cyclocross race and just getting passed so hard by some dude dressed as a cowboy with like a huge cowboy hat on and jeans, like full length jeans, Ooh, just flying by me in this cross race. That's Adam Craig style. Adam Craig always likes busting out. Well, he usually, usually wears the jorts, yeah. jean shorts, which is yeah. makes, makes it for a little more uh, mobility this in guy the knees. But full like pe full cowboy jeans. pencil jeans. People think that a costume really slows you down. It's, it's not quite so bad as you might imagine, mm. unless you're you know, getting crazy with some sort of elaborate, large thing. Are costume Watts a thing? Maybe we'll have to investigate that on a future episode. You of get the more Vellanus cheers. Podcast. You get more cheers from people. So That's true. Your uh, BAC may be a little higher too. Uh, definitely mm. true. Mm. And that is a pain relief. Yeah. yeah. Um, we are also joined today by our good contributor, Andrew Hood, all the way from Spain. Hoodie, we're recording this the day after Halloween. Do the good people over there in Spain celebrate Halloween? Is there Spanish Halloween 
It's funny you ask that. It has been picked up as a as a custom here in Spain. A lot of these American things have been uh, kind of spreading their uh-huh. tentacles around the world. And, and Halloween, the way Americans celebrate Christmas, is also getting big here in Spain. And there was a nice party last night. A lot of people dressed up. I didn't see any Donald Trump costumes, though, I have to admit. Did you have any, like, trick-or-treaters come to the door and it's just a bunch of, like, boring teens who didn't put any effort into their costumes being like, meh, I'm a serial killer. Give me some candy. Por favor. <laughs> no, no trick-or-treaters. We, we actually went out trick-or-treating ourselves to some bars last night. So Ooh. I like yeah. the Spanish uh, the Spanish version of trick-or-treating a little bit better. Yeah, you get some olives maybe, mm-hmm. a little pimento cheese maybe. Tapas. Yeah, Take a nap tapas. midway through. Yeah, yeah. not bad. Uh, my neighborhood was full of just the most meh teens. Just no effort put into their costumes. Just like, hey, give me some candy or I'll smash your pumpkins. <laughs> So I gave him lots of candy. Uh, Guys, we have a really fun show today. We have some news to get to. It's pro cycling. There's never a dull moment. Plenty of storylines to talk about. Uh, We also have a new feature on the Velo News podcast, which is the Mail Musette. We asked the good listeners to submit mailbag questions over the last week, and we are going to use our expertise to answer your questions, uh, both seriously, not seriously, maybe some humor, maybe some insight. I don't know. How do we plan to answer these questions? Just like we answer any question on this podcast. That's true. It's a, it's a healthy dose of, of joking. Expertise and insight. And nonsense. Um, so let's get into it. We've had a number of news stories over the last week, uh, some cyclocross news today we had the Koppenberg Cross. Wednesday, just just for our listeners out there. Uh, whenever I watch this race, and I see these guys and gals, and they're finishing on top of the Koppenberg. I've, I have ridden the Koppenberg. It's very hard. It's very steep. There's big cobblestones. Even on a cross bike, it is a tough ask. And to see them just flying up it again and again and again, not, not easy. Here's an idea. Uh-huh. Flanders Classics really seem to be eager to make the Tour of Flanders the most spectator-friendly spectacle with their, you know, they changed the finish, they've got that circuit thing now, why not just finish on top of the Koppenberg for the for the Tour of Flanders? Really make it a blowout. Oh, just, why not just shorten the Tour of Flanders and just have them do loops around that Paderberg, uh, Koppenberg thing? Just, yeah. Like, go Everesting Well, there's probably it. some sort of Belgian Kermesse that does that on, like, a bi-weekly basis, and yeah. you could win, like, 10 euro if you beat someone to the top of the Koppenberg. Or they, like, 12-year-old kids do uh, on their way to the pro ranks. Or ex-dopers so, or whatever. <laughs> um, in this race, we saw Matthew Vanderpool do what he's done all season, which is just crush people, tear people's legs off, but as he ascended the Koppenberg for the final time to cross the line in victory, he like he fell off his bike as if he was a high school JV cross-country runner. Yeah, I don't blame him for that, Fred, but for me, the bigger take-home from this race was the fact that Vanderpoel, he wasn't alone for this entire race like he has been for many of the World Cups and other major races so far this season. He was riding along with Toon Eretz. He was riding along with Lars Vanderhaar, which both those those guys are teammates, by the way. So mm-hmm. it's sort of two-on-one situation. And uh, Vanderpool kept his powder dry until the last lap. And that's when he made the move. That's when he attacked. So maybe he was just 
feeling like playing the tactical games this time. Maybe he's starting to slow down a little and the guys are catching up to him. I'm not sure, but that's a hard, hard course. There's a lot of climbing on that course. So you conceivably would have expected him just right away from everyone like he's done all season. Uh, Hoodie, have you ever been at a race where someone crossed the finish line and fell over with exhaustion? And I'm not talking about the like, you know, raise your hands and accidentally clip the bars next to you and fall over, but just the falling over and exhaustion. You ever seen that before? Yeah, we definitely see that in some of these intense mountaintop finales over here in the road season. I can't think of an example right off the top of my head. I mean, the one that just jumps to my mind uh, is that classic showdown between uh, Froome and Quintana up Mont Ventoux in the 2013 Welta, when both of those guys just really just gave everything they had. They were like uh, heavyweights there just doing the rope-a-dope, and, and they both had collapsed across the line there at the top of the Ventoux, and, and Quintana had to get an oxygen mask. Yeah, that's a good clip. I've seen the YouTube of him afterwards. I mean, he's just breathing with his entire body. Um, we should move on. In the domestic cyclocross scene this past week, we had the third round, well, the third race weekend, the fifth and sixth rounds of the Show Air US Cup CX. It was in Cincinnati, and it really seems like Katie Keogh and Stephen Hyde are going to win this series. Katie Keogh won one of the races. I believe Ellen Noble won the other. And Stephen Hyde swept the series. So he is in a command. You know, a couple weeks ago, we really thought that Tobin Ortenblad was going to walk away with it. But uh, Ortenblad not doing so great this past weekend. And now it seems like... Uh, Steven is going to be the man to beat. Yeah, Tobin had a rough weekend. It was very muddy on Saturday. I'm not sure if that was a factor. Uh, maybe he ate too much Skyline chili before mm. the race. That's yep. totally possible because that's the that's the thing you do when you're in Cincinnati, right? It was uh, impressive. Stephen Hyde is obviously timing his form to come into this late part of the season flying, and it it looks pretty promising to him. I actually ran into um, his mechanic, Stu Thorne, for Cyclocross World Team out in Chicago, and he mentioned to me that Steven had been a little under the weather last month, and maybe that's perhaps why he was not exactly a major factor at the front of those early races And you know, back in early October. Seems like he's over that sickness now. He's definitely riding well. Well, I think there may have to be something to do with the the trimming of hair and trimming of mustaches too. You know, that's true. He had the mustache. He had the mullet. mullet so maybe gone. maybe yeah. this saved a little light, saved a little weight there. So now, if you win this series, the, the both the men, the man and the woman who wins this series walks away with ten grand. Boom. Uh, what do you think, Katie Keogh and Stephen Hyde are going to spend that ten grand on? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Hyde's definitely got a thing for the Americana, you know, between the the mullet thing he did earlier this year. He yep. did this cool photo shoot where he was sitting on the on the stoop or, or on the door of an old truck. Uh, Will Matthews got a great photo of him posting up like that with his national championship colors. Maybe Steven's going to get some sort of vintage car. Maybe he's going to get a muscle car or something. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, Katie Keogh, she lives down in the Springs. I know that. And, um, you know, you got to pay money to take the train to the top of Pike's Peak. Oh, the Cograil. Cograil, mm -hmm. go eat some donuts up there. So my guess is that she's just going to get, like, several season passes the Cograil. Bonus, that would be sort of an altitude training type thing. That's where you, true. You know, rest, you know, sleep high, train low type thing. Also a great wax museum there. So maybe a season <laughs> pass to the wax museum. That is weird. 
it's, it's very that's, weird. That's like the fourth weirdest thing about Colorado Springs. That's not <laughs> actually that's not even top ten weird things about Colorado Springs. Oh man, well, that's a whole other separate podcast. Uh, finally, we had a uh, fun criterium go on in Shanghai this past week. It uh, came after the final. UCI World Tour of Race of the Year, the Tour of Guangxi. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Pretty, pretty, pretty and close, uh, as we see in these fun, super fun orchestrated criteriums, Chris Froome, known sprinter, uh, out sprinted Rigoberto Uran Uran with, um, I believe, the actual sprinters finished somewhere back in the pack. It was like Marcel Kittel just couldn't quite get there mm. to tackle Chris Froome. And uh, you know, you get into the late part of the season, weird things start happening with your yeah. physiology, you know, you get a little burnt out. Okay, so these things are fake and they're orchestrated and it's just ballet. Hoodie, what's your take on the fake criterion. So we have this one, we have the Saitama criterion in Japan, these sort of exhibitions where we get stars of the Tour de France to go ride around. And at some point, like you see the KOM jersey guy sprinting with the yellow jersey on a pan flat road uh, to see who is the most dominant wussy sprinter out there. What, what are your opinions and takes on fake bike racing? I've seen some blowback on social media and some comments out there that all oh, this is outrageous that they have these fake races and that it's a, it's an insult to the purity of what a bike race should be. Bah, my my take is let's have some fun too. I mean, bike racing doesn't have to be all serious or suffering or a sacrifice. I mean, this is a show. This is show business. Cycling is a uh, entertainment sport in its essence. And when you look at the video of the reception these guys got, especially when Coltador was in uh, Japan or China, I can't remember which one it was, huge turnout. The people love it in these countries. It's their chance to see the stars. It's like when Real Madrid takes uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi from Barcelona and they take them on these world tours. It's not serious football for these guys. Same with uh, taking uh, it's like the NBA All-Star game. Uh, you know, they might play a little bit, but just more for fun. It's a show. It's a chance for the fans to get close to the stars. And it's a way for the sport to kind of expand its uh, interest to these markets that are so important to the future of the sport. Well, if these fans in China and Japan are so excited about it, why can't we just have a real race then? Why, why, why has it got to be a, f a fake criterion? Why can't they have a, a proper race that pits these guys against each other and we really see some action? Uh, because I don't think the guys would show up. If it's like, hey, we're going to have some sketchy, really challenging race through China and Japan, and there's the potential that you might crash and go into the offseason with like a head injury or a broken collarbone, as opposed to having some nice, fun little criterion where we walk around and we ride around and have a good time. Um, that might be a tougher sell for some of the stars of the sport. I'm with you. I think, it, well, I do think it is kind of lame that these things are orchestrated and it, the American point of view, you know, we want our athletic competitions to be pure and to be contested and for the best to win. Uh, I do think there is something to be said about exhibition sporting tournaments uh, that are designed in a way that the big stars will come out without fear of being crashed into a guardrail or injuring themselves or even having to like do one interval to get ready for. Um, I, I, I'm with you, man. I, I, you know, some of those Real Madrid versus Barcelona exhibitions that go on, even in the States, uh, when I reported on soccer for the sports business journal, you'd hear some stories about like the party scene going on the night before the match. And it's like, oh yeah, these guys in no way, shape or form are taking this seriously. They're 
They're collecting their check after the game and flying back to Spain and hoping that they sell a ton of jerseys. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's something to shoot for to be able to have really hotly contested races. I mean, they did have the tour of Guangxi and none of the stars of the sport, the real heavy duty stars of the sport showed up to that race. Um, so maybe the only way to get them to show up is to just say, hey, come over for like 10 days of kimonos and sushi and you write a criterium at, afterwards where you're guaranteed to win. But I think, I think the international calendar is so busy and tight right now. It's real hard to get anyone of real caliber to get to come to a race like a China or Japan, unless you just rearrange the racing calendar and move some of these events into that slot, that January, February, where they could work it into their preseason racing calendar. Otherwise, like you said, Guangxi, I mean, that if you look at the Guangxi start list, it was full of, full of riders that were leaving the team they were on and going to a new team. <laughs> Almost all the big names that were like, going, okay, you're going to Astana next year. You're going to. It was tour like punishment. Guangxi. It was the tour of punishment. <laughs> Or it was like the Neo Pros looking, uh, or a few guys did go, and they got some pretty sweet uh, world tour points out of it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's just so long as there aren't fake criteriums popping up in my backyard, I'm okay <laughs> with having them. But the moment that there's like a boulder collar on a fake criterium, I'm going to be out there with my picket sign. Uh, guys, let's get on to this male musette. But first, a little word from our good friends over at Health IQ. Oh, Spencer, you raced your bike this past weekend, even though it was a crazy Halloween cyclocross race. That race result is of value to you. First of all, how did you finish in your crazy Halloween cyclocross race? Uh, I did all right. I, I was sixth. Okay. So there you go. Not bad. Did you feel that the costume held you back at all? It was kind of windy. So it's possible the Zorro hat had some <laughs> negative impact on my aerodynamics. I'll tell you what, even though you finished sixth, you missed the cheater podium because of your costume, you can take that race report, you can take that race result and go to our friends at Health IQ, submit that race result and get a good quote on life insurance because Health IQ is the company that works specifically with fit people like you and me and bike racers and runners and triathletes and is able to offer really competitive rates because its clientele is so healthy. So Spencer, let's say you got your race result with you right now. What, what are you going to do? How are you going to submit that thing? You just go to healthiq.com slash velonews. You can submit it and get a free quote. No, you know, there's no reason not to give it a shot. So yeah. healthiq.com slash velonews. And next time you can submit photos of you in the Zero Mask too. There you go. Check right. it out. Back to the show. <laughs> Okay. All right, guys. We had our good listeners submit multiple questions for this week's episode of the Mail Musette. And Spencer and I, we called them. We went through them. We eliminated all of the questions that were just laced with profanity. Yeah, or personal attacks on us. Yeah, a lot of personal attacks. Yeah. Which, you know what? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. Bring them on. Sure. Uh, and we you don't look okay with it. You no, I'm frowning. Yeah, okay. I'm crying. Sorry. We have a, a healthy group of questions here for us to go through. So with, uh, without any ado, let's get into this. Um, Dave writes in, hey, guys, what's up with the shrinking number of guys on these world tour teams? 
why are these teams cutting riders for 2018? Uh, jump ball. Hoodie, you want to start us off? What's, what's going on there? Yeah, good question from Dave. Uh, actually, a few things are going on, but mainly it's the reduction of the World Tour squad size for the stage races and the one-day races. We saw the UCI and the Grand Tours really press for a reduction of the team size. So next year, we're going from nine riders per team to eight in the Grand Tours and from eight riders to seven in the one-day classics and the smaller stage races like Paris. So all the big teams are saying, well, just do the numbers. We don't need to carry as many riders on our roster to kind of fill out our racing calendar. So we're seeing already, we saw BMC kind of was the first team last week to confirm they went from 29 riders to 24 for 2018. That's five riders in the street. And UAE just announced 25 riders, another four riders on the street. So it's really kind of uh, the fears of what the teams and the riders and the rider agents particularly were fearing that you would see a lot of people uh, perhaps losing their jobs within the World Tour Peloton because of this uh, reduction of team size. And Hoodie, ostensibly, the argument is safety, right? You have fewer riders on the race course. It, it should be safer, and that's what the UCI is saying with this rule. But you had a great story on VeloNews.com last week about this, and you seem to think that maybe it's a little bit of a false argument. Yeah, I really don't buy into the safety argument because we've seen the crashes, I think, are caused by two other factors, not the size of the Peloton per se, but rather what's out there in the roads, what the modern Peloton is facing today with the traffic circles, all the uh, traffic furniture, so to speak. And the other element is the uh, uh, vehicles in the Peloton. You're looking at the motorcycles, the team cars, all these VIP cars ripping around. And that's where we've seen some terrible crashes over the last two or three years. So if they're really talking about safety, let's talk about solving some of those issues. The real issue that, you know, the second rationale was that, oh, it'll make the races more exciting. We'll have to see about that. So what's the butterfly effect of this? I mean, all of these uh, teams are shedding riders. That means there's going to be more riders, more talent out there in the labor market. I mean, is my inbox going to be flooded with resumes of like former World Tour guys applying for the reporter position that we have open at Velo News? Or is like, are there going to be like World Tour guys, you know, like begging for spare change outside the Safeway in my neighborhood? What, what, what do we see is going to happen? What do we think is going to happen with all this uh, talent on the labor market? Well, if you just do the numbers, I mean, if it's uh, if every World Tour team, World Tour team is dropping four or five riders per team, that's that's almost a hundred World Tour riders who won't have a job next year. Uh, we're seeing some natural attrition through retirements, through riders, uh, you know, walking away from one reason or another. But it's going to put a pinch on the uh, World Tour league, that's for sure. Well, but is it a matter of those World Tour riders not having a job, or is it a matter of the guys at the pro continental level? not having a job because I would assume a lot of the guys who can't make it in the world tour are going to find a ride with a, with a pro continental team, just so they have something that is, you know, not, not a real job. They want to keep, they want to keep being a pro bike racer. They want another shot. They, who knows, maybe they can get a result and move back to a world tour team afterward. Oh yeah. So all the cat one races now are going to be stuffed full of these like pro Conti and Conti guys. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh man. It's a real butterfly effect. Real butterfly effect. Or maybe this is just the time to start your own world tour cycling team. Hey, entrepreneurs out there want to get into bike racing, start your own team. A lot of labor force out there. I think I read some sort of article about how it's like the best investment ever for a sponsorship. Oh yeah. It's just like the most surefire way to turn your business into a huge success. That was like a column on business insider, right? 
right? Yeah, it was like, hey, like do you yeah. want to promote your brand? Get into World Tour Cycling. Yeah. Great investment. <laughs> a lot of ROI, ton of ROI. All right. All right, moving on. Question number two. This one comes from Matt. Why can't Mika Landa and Nairo Quintana just get along? They can both get second place in whatever grand tour they want. Ha, ha, ha. Nice dig, Matt. Uh, but that is a pretty good question. What is going on over at Movie Star? Oh, my gosh. War of words in the media. These two guys are just like just shooting barbs at each other through the press. Uh, Hoodie, you're the man closest to the flame on this story. What, uh, what sentiment, what takes do you have coming out of Movie Star right now? It's going to be an interesting balancing act, that's for sure, because when you saw Quintana and Valverde kind of share that leadership role, it was pretty easy because Valverde was very humble and also very honest. He said, okay, I'm not going to win the Tour de France, so let's let Nairo carry that weight and the responsibility. So it wasn't that big of an issue. But here comes Mikel Landa, who has raced two years at Astana as a backup rider, two years at Sky, coming out of the gun saying, I'm never going to race for number two again. Uh, here he comes to Movistar, and then Nairo was right there in the gauntlet last week saying, Yo soy el jefe. Mmm, yo el soy jefe. el jefe. I like that. I think, I think Valverde is also, he's pretty confident and self-assured, being as he's a four-time Liege winner, yeah. five-time Flesh Willow winner. He's won every bicycle race. He won the race. Vuelta in 2009. He's not the Mikel Landa, who is trying to make a name for himself and trying to get out from underneath someone else's shadow, whether it's Chris Froome or whoever else, you know? I got to take care. Uh, I think Movistar is doing Quintana bad by this move. I think that this is still Quintana's team. He has won Grand Tours. He's shown he can compete for the Tour de France. This next year's tour route is crazy, ton of climbing. So to bring on Mikel Landa and not have any public comments about who is going to be in uh, the leadership role, I think is kind of a jerk move. Plus, here's my thing about Landa. Uh, Landa, as we've seen, operates best when he has no pressure on him and is in a support role. Think back to Astana. The best result Landa had, that third place of the Giro d'Italia, was when he was super domestique for Fabio Aru. Didn't have the pressure of team leadership on him. The next year, he gets the, uh, gets the big contract from Team Sky. He's supposed to lead the team at the Giro. Totally flames out. Next year, same thing. He's supposed to lead the team at the Giro. Doesn't really work out for him. And comes into the tour with... No pressure on him. The only expectation is for him to tow around Chris Froome. And what happens? He has great form. All of a sudden, he's like rattling his saber. Ah, I could have won. I don't want to work for Chris Froome. Uh, I, I, if I were Nairo Quintana, I'd be pissed too. Hey, team, you convinced me to do the Giro Tour double. It didn't work out for me. And now you're hiring on some guy to compete for the quarterback spot. WTF? Unzue? No, no, no. I like this idea, Fred. I like this idea. This is, it, it is like a team bringing in two star quarterbacks and having them play for the job, play for the starting position. You know, we got to, you know, we got to toughen these guys up. They're a little soft, you know, they're millennials. They're not really, I don't think they, I don't think they want it enough. So, you know, iron sharpens iron. We're going to see them fight for it. Maybe we'll do a little, uh, little uphill time trial in uh, team camp, a little, uh, mm. little time trial test to see who's a better climber. Uh, let's, let's see it. I mean, Heck, you know, if they want to beat Chris Froome, they're going to have to step it up because Lord knows neither of those guys has a shot as is. We got to we got to kick it into another gear now. <laughs> I love that your take uh, is uh, that they're both millennials, and I'm envisioning them like Instagramming themselves, drinking lattes at the coffee shop. Mm, probably Snapchat, but yeah, yeah there sure. you go. Mm -hmm. uh, Hoodie, what's your, what's your take? I would uh, I would add a wrinkle to that that. Uh, 
First off, the Giro Tour idea evidently was Nairos. It was Ooh. not a Mostar team idea. And so they, you know, publicly they're saying that they came to that decision as consensus between the team interest and Nairos. But evidently, the word of the street is that that was Nairos grand idea and the team had to reluctantly back him in that quest. And also bringing Landa to the team, he is going to be the team captain at the Giro. Whereas uh, next year, Nairo's going to focus completely on the Tour de France. So at this point, uh, it's still unknown if Landa will even go to the Tour de France. So there might not even be a conflict there at all. But man, it sure makes great some great offseason stories, though, doesn't it? Well, Landa's he's going to go to the Tour, though, because after he crashes out in the first week of the Giro, he'll have to do oh, something in yeah. the summer, you know? Uh, there you go. After he has bad legs and goes for stage wins. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right. All right, moving on. Uh, this one comes from Leo, and his question is, in 10 years from now, who are we going to be seeing winning the Grand Tours? Will it finally be an American, or will we finally see a Frenchman win the Tour de France? Uh, Frenchman or American 10 years from now? I don't think either. Um, 10 years from now, I expect like every fast kid in Slovakia who has been motivated by uh, Peter Sagan's exploits who's now racing like BMX or mountain bikes, I feel like Slovakia is going to be producing Tour de France winners 10 years from now. It's too small a country, though. There's not a big population base to draw off of. I'm going to say China because the UCI was so smart in expanding Tour tour Guangxi to inspire all this new cycling interest over there in China. And man, they had this great Shanghai criterium and all the young young kids in China got real excited about bike racing after watching the, the, the Shanghai crit and boom, there there you go. You got a huge population base to draw on, a well-established culture of doping. And sp- I mean, um, oh, uh, yeah. they've got Oops. a great sports Oops. ministry, real sports Oops. ministry. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> yeah, some kids saying, well, what motivated to get me into cycling was seeing Chris Froome sprint with Roman Bardet on a pan-flat road in the middle of Shanghai. That's what got me into it. Pure I sport. love it. Pure, Pure sport. sport. Yeah. I would say that uh, within 10 years, we'll see a, a Colombian Tour de France winner, if not uh, multiple. But I'd say looking down that uh, crystal ball of 10 years down the road, I still have the belief that we're going to see a breakout African rider hmm. really grabbing hold of sport and just taking it to a whole nother level because there are so many barriers for African riders to enter the sport. But there's a lot of kind of grassroots efforts out there they're taking seed and you might see that happen and flower within the next 10 years and you'll have that eddie Merckx or that greg lamond or that freak rider come out of africa and completely revolutionize cycling i'm watching for that uh okay next question what is a quick simple way for me to explain team sky's total dominance of the tour de france to my non-cycling friends I always say that they just spend more than anybody else because I hate getting into the minutia of drafting and team tactics. That question comes from Greg. I'm with you, Greg. I hate trying to explain drafting and team tactics to non-cycling friends who are just like, oh, Lance was the strongest. Why didn't he win like the flat stage? Uh, the way I always explain it is that imagine if Tom Brady had a team full of Tom Brady's and he was... Uh, playing he was the best guy and his team was also composed of the best guys that with the football analogy and what happens in that scenario is that not only do you have the best guy but by hiring on the other best guys you deprive the competitors of the ability to have tom brady go against tom brady uh is that is that wacky does that make any sense 
Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. They're buying up all their rivals, basically. Right. Yeah. It's uh, pretty, pretty common. Yeah, move, I, but I they, think... that gets back to the budget, though. That's that's like, oh, well, they have enough money to do it, right? Right. Sorry, Hoodie. I, I, th- I think that Team Sky has had the luck of having the base foundation and budget of the strongest team in the Peloton with the freaky generational rider of Chris Froome happening at the same time. You put Chris Froome on a different team, is he going to win four out of the last five Tours de France? I doubt it, actually. And if you put someone else in Team Sky, would, would that rider on Team Sky win all these Tours? I kind of doubt that as well. I think it's that element of having just that Team Sky budget and, and whatever else goes behind it and the freak talent of Chris Froome. You separate those two, and the story has a different ending. I, th- I think you could also point to British cycling's culture of the um, of track racing mm-hmm. and being able to use that as a development tool and a place where they can find talent and bring riders into the sport that maybe aren't necessarily out and about riding the open roads. It's you see a lot of very strong like track pursuiters. For instance, Jarrett Thomas is a great example who came to Team Sky after just totally blown up the track world and uh, it's a great way to develop riders that's well, that's what you're going to tell your non-cycling friends well yeah, so there's this point. Uh, could, yeah. niche sport within my niche sport that uh, in great britain is really bit uh yeah they spend more money it's uh, like how they use arena football to develop nfl players uh well, never mind <laughs> uh matt asks have we reached peak cyclocross or is the u.s about to become the new home of cyclocross as the euro races keep getting more boring boy are the euro races more boring it sort of depends on any given weekend it's it recently matthew vanderpool has like we've said in yeah. past podcasts he's been the guy and um the women's racing still in europe it remains exciting you know helen wyman and katie compton had an awesome duel at Copenhagen cross today should have mentioned that earlier but uh yeah it sort of is like one of those things where the other th- the other factor is just that a lot of these top European racers are young and they don't have names that are particularly recognizable. It's not Sven Nice, for instance. So I see that being something that prevents cyclocross from being as popular for spectators. But uh, man, U.S. cross is just still a little bit kind of Wild West where there's just not a real narrative to follow. Yeah, Matt, what are you talking about peaks? Have we reached peak cyclocross? We reached peak cyclocross in 2010. I mean, 2010, 2011, that was really the peak here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also feel like in Belgium with the crowd size and Sven and the rivalries, uh, that was kind of the peak. I think we're on the far side of the peak right Mm. now, (laughs) maybe trying to rally the forces and the resources to go for another peak. Whether that happens, whether Vanderpool and Van Aert are the guys to do it, I guess that's the big question. Uh, Okay, Jim asks, ooh, another Team Sky question. Oh, After Team Sky's massive fold-out lorry thing at the Vuelta in 2017... What's a lorry? What's a lorry? Lorry? Who is lorry? <laughs> uh, what's the next in their list of marginal gains? What do we think the next Sky marginal gain will be? Uh, anyone? Jump ball? Oh. Okay, so... <laughs> I love one already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that Chris Froome is wearing the little cow the like the, the the cow nose ring you know oh does, does he still do that the turbine you stick it up your nose yep. to expand your uh, yep. breathing totally works okay helps me edit faster so <laughs> i'm thinking of some other uh kind of ridiculous product that you could market to the masses that maybe doesn't actually provide a marginal gain other than sponsorship opportunity which we all know 
is a definite marginal gain. So I'm thinking of goofy, performance-based product that they can sell to the British market. Maybe some type of like um, eyeglasses or eyewear that um, that maybe tells you like how fast you're going. Oh, smart glasses. Smart glasses. Those are, those are coming around. Yeah. I think smart glasses are going to be it. Maybe a training mask, you know, like the CrossFit guys wear to oh. limit, limit your oxygen intake and yeah. uh, strengthen your lungs. Or that... Um, that like rubber ball that the guy chews on that we saw in the YouTube clip where it like strengthens his jaw. Oh, the jawser sizer. The jawser sizer. Look it up. It's a good. It's a good workout tool. Yeah, I think Team Sky will invest heavily in jawser sizers and claim that they have increased wattage output by uh, I don't know two percent by strengthening the muscles around their jaws. I would like to see more lorries though. If we can get some more lorries that are fold out, that'd be pretty cool. Hoodie, any any uh, marginal gains going on over there in Spain? Well, I don't know if you guys have heard about the, the marginal gains of the uh, the special poop bacteria. Have you guys heard about this? Oh, all? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've heard about that. I have uh, I don't know the full details on it. I need to do an investigative uh, project on it. But evidently, there's a kind of bacteria they've found that inhabits the stomachs of certain elite athletes that helps them digest and, and process their uh, dietary tracts hmm. in a way that is, quite, is proven to be quite effective. And there's... The only way to uh, acquire this bacteria, perhaps Spencer knows how this is uh, uh, shared among uh, elite athletes. Have you <laughs> why heard about would I, why would I know this? This is disgusting. <laughs> uh, this is. Uh, I know where this is going. No, but it, it's evidently evidently it's it's kind of cutting edge technology that poop you doping. do a you can do poop doping. You can do a stool sample, and if you don't have this bacteria, you can get that bacteria inject your dietary tract, and you will be you're in faster. Uh, all right, so Hoodie, I'm going to assign you that story for 2018, an expose on athlete poop, on <laughs> super-duper athlete poop. God, what's uh, Come on. Disgusting. That is gross. <laughs> God. Cycling, you're so weird. I can't eat, you know, how can I even talk to you, to my non-cycling friends about something like that? Yep. Just bring up motor doping and poop doping. It's, uh, yeah. This should be fine. Uh, okay, this question comes from Jen. I love the Ardennes races. Let's say I was trying to recreate my own hilly Belgian classic with winding narrow roads, short, steep bergs. Where in the U.S. would I hold my bike race? What Hmm. region or state or area of the United States best recreates the hilly Limburg and Ardennes uh, regions of the low country? Hoodie. I would have to say the hills of, which part is it? I guess eastern Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, mm. I have I have some I have some buddies that live up there, kind of north, north northwest of uh, Philly, and when you're riding around there, it's just up and down all day in these little narrow roads. In fact, even the old stone farmhouses just kind of look like Belgium. When I was riding around there, with my buddies, I'm like, man, this is just like uh, the Ardennes country. Let's have a uh, Liège, and they have good beer there as well. Ooh, got beer and bergs. I like it. West Philadelphia, born, born and raised. Ah, uh, interesting. On the bike race is where I spend none of my days. I'm going to say my my home state where I grew up in Vermont. Mm. I I did go out and ride some of the Liège course a few years ago, and it really reminded me of some of those rolling hills of Vermont and in New England in general, Connecticut. You could also make an argument for that, Western Massachusetts. Lots of short hills, lots of pretty quiet, narrow roads. Maybe not quite as narrow as the Ardennes roads, but geez, there's nothing really that compares to Europe when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I was going to say Connecticut, because if there's one thing I know about Belgium and riding there, 
the road network looks like you took a fistful of spaghetti and just threw it on a table. Yeah. There's not a single straight road in the country, people. We're talking just a spider web of weird little narrow goat paths that are actual roads that people use for traffic that just go everywhere. Uh, and major bike races use these. So I am with you with Connecticut because I was out at the KMC CrossFest the other week uh, out in Thompson, Connecticut, and I spent Oh, a good 40% of my time just lost. Just <laughs> driving around these weird little towns. A lot of hills, really pretty, narrow roads, and just a road system that made no sense whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, all you aspiring race promoters out there, maybe look at um, upstate rural Pennsylvania or the Northeast to have your hilly classic. Um, okay, this one comes from Jim. Another one from Jim. This is a different Jim? Yeah, it's a different gym. Different gym. There's a lot of gyms out there, that's all. I'm not sure of Tom Dumoulin's race program, so this may not be relevant. Oh, this is his caveat. I don't know what I'm talking about, but here's my question. Would <laughs> that's Tom, why he has a question. That's yeah, true. Would Tom Dumoulin be better off racing the Vuelta and the Giro with a view of taking the double rather than trying to fight Froome and Sky at the Tour? Oh, the Vuelta Giro double. Hmm. Do, the, do the Vuelta Giro and not face Froome versus facing Froome at the Tour de France? <laughs> um. I mean, yeah, sure, you could do that. Like, if you were a really great baseball player, you could go play in AAA and hit a bunch of home runs and feel good about yourself, too. But dang it, we want our bike racers to be aspiring big dogs and want to take on the best. So, Jim, I think that a guy like Tom Dumoulin, he probably wants to measure himself against the best right now, right? And that's uh, well, and also, Froome. And also, it's not... Simply about Dumoulin, it's he's part of a team. Yeah. So you know the Sunweb team's going to go into the season with objectives and try and spread out their talent as best they can. And you just there's no one else on that team who could be a GC rider at the Tour with a legitimate shot at getting on the podium, maybe winning, other than Tom Dumoulin. How dare you besmirch Wilco Kelderman? Oh yeah, I got in trouble for that when we were talking Vuelta back in August. People were not happy when I dragged Wilco Kelderman. Do you also dislike the band Wilco? Do you uh, dislike all things Wilco? Mm, not necessarily. Okay, but, uh, just checking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hoodie, what do you think? Should Tom Dumoulin tackle the double rather than taking on Chris Froome? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think uh, the Sunweb camp is waiting to see what the Giro and Welta come up with. If, the, if both of those races do deliver these just uh, T-ball setups for Dumoulin and these big, long 35, 45K-kilometer time trials, he might steer clear of the Tour. After the Tour route we've seen so far is very challenging in many aspects. But going back to what Fred said, eventually Dumoulin does want to go to the Tour, and the longer he kind of waits – because he really hasn't raced the tour to try to win it. He's raced the tour and he's won stages and has quite good success there. But to win the tour is a whole different kind of animal. And he needs to go there, bring a team built around him, and just see what he can do. And then have that two- to three-year project of winning the Tour de France. And has to start this this coming season. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I want to see him take on from, you know, we got to have hope. Oh, yeah. I have hope for an interesting tour. I agree. Um, I think this is going to be our last question, and this one comes to us from Try Russell, the wonderful Try Russell. He tweets at us a lot. Thanks, Try Russell. What's up, man? What's the deal with Aru and Astana? Why are they suing Aru for damages? Uh, what's going on with Vino, Aru, and Astana? As we all know, Fabio Aru was 
Astana's GC man, and he, in the worst kept secret in pro cycling, he signed for uh, UAE, correct? That's correct, yeah. Um, Hoodie, what's what's going on there? I mean, we all kind of knew, it was the scuttlebutt that I mean, we all knew it was it was coming, right? Yes, I think the the story there with Vinukarov, I was just reading some stuff in the Italian press the last couple of days, is that evidently Aru in his contract had a uh, first uh, what's what's the right word to describe first it? First ride that, refusal. That st- there you go. So that when uh, Aru came to the team and said, hey, UAE is offering me six million euros a year, Astana supposedly had a first order refusal to match that to make him stay with uh, Astana, even though he did not have a contract for next year. So that's where supposedly Vinukarov is saying that the uh, agent from Aru was not informing the team that, in fact, Aru was leaving. But as you said, it was a pretty well-known, uh, well-known secret going well into the uh, into the tour and beyond. Uh, my theory is that Vino has to answer to some people back at the home base in uh, Kazakhstan who probably don't know the sport very well, and they're just seeing like the mainstream headlines of like, oh, what do you mean our GC guy's not on the team anymore? What's the deal? And so uh, Vino. Can can go back to them and say like, oh, caught me by surprise. I don't know what the hell heck happened. There must be some uh, shady business going on. So let's let's launch a lawsuit as sort of a public relations back to his bosses. I have that based on no reporting whatsoever, pure speculation. Uh, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly uh, is the caveat there. You know, I'm sure all of those oil and gas magnates, the billionaires who live in Kazakhstan, I, I bet they're super chill guys, and we'll just let it slide. Yeah, I can't imagine true. it'll be a problem. <laughs> Uh, so Astana now, I mean, they have Jakob Fuglsang, um, and, uh, yeah, it's looking a little thin over there for Grand Tour talent. They got Superman. Yeah, Miguel Angel Lopez. Maybe this is the year that Miguel hey, Angel... He, he rode a lot better in the Welta than Fabio Aru. You got to admit that. So, to me, more promise there, just based on recent results. And how do we see... UAE splitting things between Fabio Aru and Dan Martin. Um, doesn't seem like there's been any type of war of words between these guys, so they're a step ahead of Movistar, but Hoodie, what's that going to look like? Yeah, I think it's going to be a similar situation to be splitting up their forces. I mean, I, I can imagine they'd send Aru to the Giro. He's an Italian. He wants to win it. Send Dan Martin to the Tour and then wait and see kind of what the Welta has in store. Um, or, you know, you send both of those guys and I think it's interesting. You're seeing double whammy at Movistar, p- potential double whammy at, uh, UAE Emirates. Perhaps it's a different way to take on the, the sky, sky throttle on the yellow Jersey. Yeah. Those guys are not going to take on yeah. sky in the yellow Jersey. Come double on, whammies have worked the, great the, for and, taking on sky. In they're years good past. riders, but they're not at the from level. Neither <laughs> of them are. No. Well, that was a fun little male musette session. I think we're going to do some more of these throughout the fall and winter. So stay tuned to velonews.com and keep following us on our Twitter and Facebook handles because we're going to put out the bat signal for you to flood our inboxes with cycling-related questions here going forward. Yeah, send us questions anytime, really. Yeah, that's true. Just tweet us or email webletters at competitorgroup.com. Hit us up. We want your questions. Any type of questions. Sentiment. All questions. Yeah, I mean, hey, can you show me? Grooming? Grooming advice? Yep, show Uh, me a photo of Spencer Dresses or a racing cyclocross. Yep, all right. Anything. do that. 
Uh, okay, let's get on to our final segments of the show. Guys, I, I, do we have some Ask a Cat 3 questions? I think we've got a couple. And okay. similar to our Mail Musette questions, we want to hear your Ask a Cat 3s. So tweet us, hashtag Ask a Cat 3, tweet at VeloNews. And you can also email your Ask a Cat 3s to webletters at competitorgroup.com if you need to get really verbose and have a very extensive and long Ask a Cat 3 question. But Twitter's probably best. What are our Ask a Cat 3 inquiries? We have a couple of good questions today, guys. The first one comes from Jim. I think we all know Jim. There's a lot of Jims out there. Jim asks, it's shitty, cold, wet weather for your race. Do you go with a heavy jacket to keep warm or skimpy, lightweight skin suit for speed? Ask a Cat 3. Um, I say go skimpy, lightweight because... You can always have a good weather-related clothing excuse later if you don't do well. And as we all know, being a Cat 3, all about seeking out those excuses. I think it doesn't matter what you go with because the real approach is to show up at the race and register and get everything done. And then just don't start because you're like, well, uh, you know, I didn't quite have the right skin suit with me. Mm -hmm. And... uh, uh, I didn't have my rain tires on either, so uh, I'll just save my matches for the training crit this Wednesday. You know, I've really been training for races that are go off between uh, 50 and 55 degrees Fahrenheit, mm. and it was 48 and not optimal. Not optimal. Not optimal. Uh, okay, next question. Next question comes from Mateus, Matthias, who asks, the new C- UCI president thinks gambling is ruining cycling. What would a Cat 3 do when gambling on cycling? Mm, that's true. What's a good Cat 3 gambling move? Well, we all know a pro gambling move would be to get a VPN for your computer and then hit up some of these online sites that are like, I don't know, based on some like offshore oil rig or something like that where you don't have to show any, any information and just bet away to your heart's desire. But the Cat 3 version of that... I'd say it's probably a little less pro. So maybe it's like creating a pool with your uh, riding and racing buddies, but trying to pick riding and racing buddies that don't know as much about pro racing. Oh, a gambling sandbag. So yeah, being a real gambling sandbag. So maybe like call up like grandma or dad (laughs) and like give them some introductory cursory knowledge about pro cycling. And maybe we start a Tour de France pool and then you just use your dedicated reading of velonews.com to inform your gambling. That's a good one, Fred. I I would add that just from my own personal experience, the trap I always fall into if I'm I'm not necessarily gambling, but if I'm picking riders, for instance, the tour, I always do this with sprinters where I pick the sprinter that was good last year because I'm like, oh, well, he was good last year, so he'll be good this year and win all the sprints. And it's totally not that guy, like without fail. It's like, Cavendish, you know, oh, I didn't pick him because whatever, he didn't win the year before. He goes and wins like f- whatever, four stages or whatever it was in 2016. And Kittle, it was like, oh, Kittle, he didn't have a good year last year, so why would I pick him this 2017? And it's a classic recency bias thing, which is something that I, my, my, my small brain can't handle. That. You're a buy high, sell low guy. Yeah, exactly. Hey, man, I want to buy, I want to sell you some stuff, by the way. I'm selling some stuff on eBay. You oh. want to 
buy my uh, 2014 bike gear. Uh, another thing that came to me is if you're a Cat 3, you're so, so, so enthusiastic about the Tour de France and bike racing that you want to, you're the guy that goes around to try and start an office pool. And like everyone looks at like you're like a crazy person. They're like, dude, this isn't March Madness. This isn't something that everyone kind of knows about. Tour de France pool pool is Lance Armstrong racing it. Sure, I'll put my money on him. Uh, so yeah, I'd say go for the office pool for the tour. Uh, anyway, that was Ask a Cat Three again. Please submit Ask a Cat Three questions whenever you want via our Twitter or via web letters at competitorgroup.com. Okay, uh, we got to get to some podiums here. You know, what do we have going on this week? We big, have big news coming up. Big announcement coming up. Yep. Uh, team EF Education First, formerly known as Cannondale. Is it EF presented by Draypack, presented by Cannondale? What's the official team name now? Uh, it's the artist formerly known as Slipstream. Okay. It's, it's a symbol. <laughs> it's just a symbol now. I like it. <laughs> they changed the name of the team to just a symbol and a sound that accompanies an it. unpronounceable symbol. Um, they are revealing their 2018 kit this week. We all are expecting some mess involving argyle symbols, maybe bright colors, um, green. Br- I don't know what the I, what is the color. Education as long first. as it's not blue, because it seems like every team is doing blue these days. So, so if they stand out, I'll be happy. Yeah. It'll be easy to pick them out. Anyway, this has me thinking about EF Education First. Very innovative, disruptive sponsor in pro cycling. You know, coming in to just upend the business model, just make everything so different. Just, um, just disrupt the hell out of this sport. Um, has me thinking, though, what are some of our favorite strange pro cycling sponsors over the years? Because... You know, at EF, it's like a study abroad program for your gap year or something like that. That's one, yeah, that's one of the things they do. They do some language programs, too. Not the most intuitive cycling sponsor out there. But then again, many of the longtime sponsors in this sport are a little outside the box. So who wants to start us off with their podium of weird and wacky non-traditional cycling sponsors? I can go first to uh, grab the low-hanging fruit. Uh, my top three list. I'd have to put uh, number three, Linda McCartney uh, food. Oh, you was, got uh, that was one of mine. Me too. Darn it. <laughs> Darn it. Come on, hoodie. Darn, I, you want to start over? No, 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 no. no, no. That's all you. That's all you. All right, all you. Right. Okay, so yeah, vegetarian food, cycling. You know, it's the it's the anti keto team sponsor. So, number two for me is uh, Amore Evita, which is a like pro life Vatican backed uh kind of a, a group based in italy and they sponsored a bike team for many years at the cat two level or at the uh at the pro conti level and my favorite uh re- weird sponsor of all time is diana sauna the uh which is nothing less than a brothel in hollers oh my <laughs> they, sp- they sponsored a team back in the 90s man. oh Doesn't my get weirder than that that is definitely really weird that is amazing. I, the Linda McCartney one gets bonus points for being associated with the Beatles, because just because you know, hey, well, you get you get the the Beatles full collection for your iPods as well as the team sponsorship, right? That's probably part of it. I think all of us had Linda McCartney oh, on it. the uh, on That's the list. Okay. I've got some options. Um, I see uh, Fred is over there struggling with Microsoft Word, so I'm going to go. I will start with number three. Uh, my number three is Rafa. 
I know what you're thinking. It's a, it's just the, the bike apparel company, right? Well, it's not, that's not what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the sweet wine aperitif St. Raphael, which actually sponsored a team back in the seventies. Tom Simpson was on the team. Uh, so little known fact, Rafa before Rafa was a nice little, uh, drink to have before dinner in France. That's my number three. My number two was going to be Linda McCartney. Thanks hoodie. But I will instead say that my number two is Z Vetements, that uh, French children's clothing company that sponsored Greg LeMond's team. I just like that cartoonish Z that they'd had on their kits. is very, very appropriate for the era, you know, late 80s, that sort of thing. And then my number one is, it's actually... It's not a sponsor. It's the Blanco team after, uh, after the, um, well, so it was Rabobank and then I, I forget something else came in and there was this whole problem with the team. It was, I, it was at one point, I think the, 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 the Unibet team, right? The gambling site. And then they had to pull that. I don't know. It was this whole torrid affair and it ended up being Blanco, which isn't even a company. It was just a, a blank thing for their Jersey until they found a sponsor, which turned out to be Belkin. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it went from uh, Blanco, which was the no sponsor, to Belkin, which makes like thumb drives. Right, and then Belkin pulled. They 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 ejected from oh, the team. You know, you they go. hit the eject button on the thumb drive. But uh, did they hit th- the eject button, or did they just yank it out? That's a good point. They did yank it out, and the data was not the data was not saved. saved. Yeah, the document was corrupted. It was a pop up screen. Yep. Um, but that to me is very indicative of cycling sponsorships. Is that my number one is Blanco? Okay. Good. I like that. Did you find your word doc? Uh, I did. It took me a while of learning basic word doc, uh, word skills, which apparently I don't have. Proud of you, Fred. Editor of a magazine. I don't know how to use my stupid computer. Okay. Uh, I also had Linda McCartney Foods. It was vegetarian, uh, but yeah, totally weird. Okay. In third place, I have Predictor. Do you remember Predictor? Predictor Lotto? Because it was a women's pregnancy test. Nice. And it was like, hey, guys, I have a great way to improve our market share in the women's pregnancy test uh, product category. Let's sponsor a men's cycling team. Just marketing fail. Like, what were they thinking? Imagine being in that pitch meeting. I don't know. But, uh, hey, well, free samples for the guys on the team at least. Yeah, awesome. Cadell Evans. Uh, Okay, number two. I have Carrera, Carrera jeans, because the era in which Carrera sponsored their pro cycling team, I believe corresponded with the peak of Carrera jean style, which was the acid wash dad mm-hmm. jeans from the 80s, high waist. The best. Just the best. When I see, some, when, when Hoodie, when you did your uh, Eusebio Unzue um, retrospective, we found some great photos from like the late 80s, early 90s of him with the most Carrera acid wash dad jeans possible. So I just, that just brings me right there when I think of Carrera. And number one, with a bullet, literally, uh, Team LA Sheriffs. Remember LA Sheriffs? <laughs> yeah. It was Chevy LA Sheriffs. Right. Uh, Scott Moniger was on that team. Great domestic team. From the late night, mid to late nineties, um, Team LA Sheriffs. It was a group that was sponsored by this police group in the greater Los Angeles area, and they thought that getting a great way to get their brand out there was to have a pro cycling team. So, LA Sheriffs, thank you so much. Well, so for those podiums, don't forget go on Twitter, vote on our podiums, tell us who had the best podium for this week. 
And uh, feel free to suggest any other podiums for us to opine on here on the podcast. And if you are the owner of a really strange brand that has nothing to do with cycling and you want to be on the Velo News podcast, I say buy a cycling team or just, you know, throw a lot of money at the sport because we're always looking for weird companies to get involved with the sport. Or, or they get sponsored the Velo News podcast. Yeah, that's true. Our brand, your brand, could be reaching uh, guys like Dave and Ted and Jim and all the other nice people who submitted questions this week uh, on the Villainous Podcast. Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on Villainous.com. Subscribe to Villainous Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and rating. Become a fan of Villainous on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Villainous Podcast is produced by Villainous, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media, the thoughts and opinions expressed on the Reynolds podcast are those of the individual. As always, leave you with a good blow up link in our podcast. Soul Drums. Soul Drums.